to. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Up on the screen. Up on the house. Says something about has made. It should be have made. H a v e, not h a s v. It should be h a t h, but we're gonna yeah. skip that. Did that? Did that? Has. Closing song. Dang it. Uh, it's the closing song. So. Cool. But yeah, do we want to bump that a minute? Or I did too. 
It gets pretty crazy there in the bridge, but I, I went up too. Try to get them to clap. Um, you can try. And, uh, Chris Watkins will. Uh, oh, yeah, Chris Watkins will. Russ will do it all hey, week. We might uh, have like seven people. Russ, so. Russ will do it, but he does. First service, maybe I ten. <laughs> that was like that. That was actually a pretty great yeah. beat right there. That'd be great if that was one. It is not. Those older people will have that wee little laughing song. trying to sing it while telling them that they're wrong and then all of a sudden he got lost and he couldn't hear it. And they're just like, uh, where are <laughs> Good morning. It's good to see everyone today. Um, glad you made it through uh, the slippery morning. I don't, I don't know if I appreciate this. We, we got, I think we just got careless. We got a little spoiled with February. Um, you know, there was no snow. It was warm. It was like 70 or 80 degrees half the time, you know, and now it's snowing in March. You know, I was telling Wes, I said, look, if, if Ohio was a teenager, this is where you'd sit them down and say, look, what you've done is very inappropriate. Um, I don't appreciate this. We need to talk about it. Um, but I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> we have um, had the chance to hear a couple, of, well, a few weeks ago from, from Cody uh, about student ministry. And I want to continue with that, talk about our children's ministry. And, and, and he will continue with student ministry. Um, various months and various weeks kind of keeping everybody up to date on what's being taught, why it's being taught. Um, some of you may be uh, familiar with, uh, our, or many of you are familiar with our children's ministry. I don't know about all of the different aspects of it, but I'm sure that you're familiar with it. Um, as you know, uh, this will be Laura's last few months as our children's minister, and the elders have been talking about that and talking to people and so forth, and, and uh, we're working on those things kind of behind the scenes. Uh, but a couple of things that I wanted to pass on and Laura wanted to pass on. Uh, just so you're aware, we have uh, different curriculums that are being taught um, depending on where your kids are. Some are in the hallway and some are in the backyard. The ones in the backyard are being taught through kidssundayschool.com. Now, this is something that I looked at years ago. And I went through just a bunch of the lessons uh, that they offer, and I really liked what they taught as far as its accuracy, 
and uh, the stories that they were teaching and things like that. And so Laura and I went through that a couple years ago. and We uh, started integrating that into your children's uh, uh, education back there. Uh, KidsSundaySchool.com, you can look that up on your own, and I encourage you to do that if you have kids back there, because you could see exactly what's being taught, um, where, uh, you know, where it comes from. Right now, they're talking about parables, the parable of the sower, which is a very important parable, helps us to understand the significance of the gospel message in our life and how we can grow the gospel message and the understanding of the Word of God. Uh, Once they get done with that, they'll move on to various aspects of worship, what it means to worship God and how we do that. And you worship God, you praise God in a number of different ways, giving, sacrifice, obedience. We do things like this through music as well. Memory verses are something they focus on. And it's important to memorize many things in Scripture. Now, I don't know if you can memorize a bunch of stuff in Scripture. I can't memorize all kinds of things. Einstein said he never commits to memory anything he can find in a book. I'm pretty close to Einstein, and so I kind of follow along with that. Um, but it does give you uh, this, this uh, added defense uh, in your life when it comes to struggle and hardship and sin and temptation. The more things that we commit to memory, the more of these beautiful words of Christ that we commit to memory, the stronger we become. And so your kids learn memory verses and and those types of things. During second service back in the backyard, they have a worship time, and they kind of reiterate some of the lessons that they've learned earlier on in the day. Now, during that time, Jim teaches the fifth and sixth grade, uh, and he teaches them through the the Bible project. Now, that's that's a... uh, program online. A couple of guys out in uh, Seattle, I think, put that together. Um, and that requires a little bit of instruction along with it. So you don't want to just turn people loose on that. That requires some understanding and be able to explain some of those things. Um, but that's what your fifth and sixth grade are going through during that second hour. If you're curious about that, by all means, look that up. Come and talk to me about it. Uh, and I'll, I'll lead you through why they're taught this and some of the things that those, those, uh, that program teaches. All of this is to say that every time you drop your kids off back there, they're being taught, they're being instructed in what I think, at least everything that I have read and everything I've focused on, is accurate. It is true. Um, it's not always exciting. You know, some stuff is more fun to learn than others, uh, but it's all needed and it's all important. Uh, they're going to continue to worship in that way and learn in that way as we continue to uh, focus on our children's ministry. Where we're going to go at the end of this year or through this year and also how we're going to prepare ourselves for the next five or ten years. Um, all these things we've been talking about. We actually have a meeting tomorrow night uh, focusing a lot on this. And so uh, just keep those things in mind as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you for the love that you show every day. Father, we thank you for the blessings, this, 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 this opportunity to be made fortunate because of who you are and what you do. Father, there are blessings that we recognize and we notice, and there are blessings that we don't notice, <clears throat> and yet we know that good things come from you. And so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for this, this morning, a chance to learn, but a chance to spend time with one another, to help each other through life to spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thank you for that. This is a special gift. This is a special gift. And we recognize that right now. I thank you for this. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're still in Philippians. We're going to wrap this up uh, real quick. I want to get into some Easter, uh, some Easter messages. Um, we will go into the sun is on the move. <clears throat> and believe it or not, that was meant to start today with the time change, but I'm a couple of weeks behind. That's the way that goes. It happens. Uh, we'll get into that as we look at Jesus setting out resolutely for Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion. Um, and then we'll talk about joy. We'll, the, the, the entire year really revolves around light. And so when we get done with our Easter messages, we're going to talk about storms. Uh, we're going to talk about the fact that the sun, sun still shines even on the other side of the clouds. And so uh, those who bear light know what it is to be singing in the rain, singing in the rain. I'm sure you've seen that or heard that, uh, that movie, that story before. But we're going to finish up <clears throat> today with our uh, lesson in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, and we get some great advice today from Paul. And these are, these are not just suggestions, church. The Bible rarely ever suggests things. There's a few things in there. And in fact, when there are suggestions, Paul will say, he usually tells you, this is me speaking, not God. This is me speaking, not God. But most of the time, the things that we read in Scripture are commands, commands for your good and commands for God's glory. And so we are to take this as a command for you and for me. Again, we're going to see that it's for our good. As we strive to be light bearers, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus then calls us the light of the world if we follow Jesus, and we're just supposed to show that light. We're supposed to spread that light of the good news of the gospel. Today, we see a way that we need to be thinking and we need to be carrying ourselves. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let's read that again. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Always. Did you wake up this morning rejoicing in the Lord? I'll tell you, it came, morning came pretty fast today, didn't it? Morning came. I stayed up later than I should have. It wasn't until I laid down. I thought, you know what? I even said something to Ashley. I said, it's time change tomorrow. She said, yep. She said, it's going to be a full second service. I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> we have full second service. That's the way it goes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Here's one of the problems we have as we go through life. We kind of shun some of these commands that God gives us. We're looking for this peace. We're looking for joy in our life. We're looking for the time, the moment, the ability, the opportunity to rejoice. And we're going to wait to rejoice until that opportunity comes along. And God says, no, you've got the cart before the horse here, church. You've got to start rejoicing. Start praising Jesus for who He is. Start praising Jesus for what He is. Start praising Jesus because you're saved for all eternity. You can do that now regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. I don't care if it's an early morning. I don't care if there's snow outside and it's cold. You can rejoice now because Jesus says, I love you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I know you by name and I've saved you for all eternity. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Rejoicing begets rejoicing. Hatred and, 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 and ugliness begets hatred and ugliness. 
Rejoicing builds upon itself. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say this again, rejoice. This is where joy comes from. You see, our joy cannot be guaranteed to come from all circumstances in life because our circumstances are temporary. You find yourself today in a different place, a different season, a different way of life than you did 5, 10, 20 years ago. And this may be a particularly hard day for you. Yesterday may have been a hard day. Tomorrow, I don't know. Our circumstances change. But we can daily rejoice, and we ought to, in something larger than our current circumstances. We don't do this enough. You know why we don't do... Do you know... I don't want to say this. You'd think I'd write this stuff down. Um, You ever been in love? You ever been in love? Once? There you go. Tommy was. You hope that goes both ways, right? Yeah? Do, do, do you remember what it was to be in love? You remember what it felt like? You, you remember what it, what it was like? You're going through the week or the day or the situation, the circumstance, and no matter what's happening that day at work or that day at school or whatever it was, really didn't matter all that much. You were focusing on it. You were caring about it, <clears throat> but it wasn't really affecting your life and your joy. Why? Because you knew that tonight or this weekend you were taking her out or he was taking you out, right? And if you were taking her out, you thought, I have no business taking her out. I don't know why she said yes, but I'm happy. I can go through just about anything today because my mind, my attention, my heart is set on the object of my love. It's amazing what you can go through when you have this love in your life, this love in your heart, this love in your home, when you have these things that you could be excited about. We've forgotten, church. Why do we go through life hating life? We've just forgotten what what it's like to fall in love. We're not in love anymore. Jesus loves you. Gave his life for you. We go through life thinking, well, that's nice. Let's go through the next storm. We forget what it's like to be in love. Sometimes we shoot way out of our league, right? And for some strange reason, she says yes. But that really doesn't matter because I get to be a part of her life or you get to be a part of his life. And we look past the hardship because we are reunited with our love. Even light bearers. Why can, this, why can this joy seem elusive in our lives? You know, Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus in the revelation of Christ. And they were doing wonderful things. And, 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 and things about their life were great. And, and the church was strong. But Jesus says, I've got this against you. You've forgotten what it's like to be in love. You've forgotten your first love. This is why there's problems in your church. You're doing wonderful things, but you've forgotten your first love. You've left me out of your life. We forget what it's like to be in love, be excited, be nervous. To change our very practices for the object of our love. You've done that before. You know how it goes. Change some of the things about yourself. Change some of the things about your life, your actions, your reactions, even your interests. We get so caught up in in, in fighting this idea 
of hero worship that we don't actually worship the one hero who ought to be worshiped. Throw our lives at his feet. To be in love, but even more than that, to fall in. To be consumed by love for Jesus Christ and desire to be with him, to look forward to those things, those moments, those times, even those times that he challenges us and kind of stretches our life. We want to be in love, but we don't want to fall in. We've forgotten what it feels like to trust. We've forgotten how good it feels to trust. And why do we forget? Because we hear about mistrust all the time. We see mistrust. We read mistrust. We even meditate. We even meditate on mistrust. We meditate on anger instead of love, on fear instead of courage. I mean, the first thing out of our mouth is, I can't, instead of why not. We consume ourselves with the pursuit of safety instead of risk. We care too much and too long about what people think and not what Jesus, Jesus sees. And if that's what we care about, then we're not going to rejoice in Jesus. Your whole life's going to be bereft of joy. With eyes like that, you're not going to rejoice in Jesus with an attitude like that. You're going to go your whole life looking outside and seeing a rainy day that ruins your plans instead of a rainy day that nourishes the very earth on which you live. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time leaving joy out of your life and rejoice out of your life because, well, you, when you can rejoice in Jesus. Don't go your whole life bereft of joy or conviction or passion or imagination. This is where rejoicing in Jesus gets us. We end up knowing that there's a love in our life, and he wants us, and he created us, and he's waiting for us. Why can't we rejoice in the light? Because we don't see it. And why don't we see it? Because we spend a few moments of our lives not with our heads looking up, with our heads looking down, digging our graves. There's life to be lived. There's joy to be had. There's excitement to be had in Jesus Christ. There's something to look forward to. There's challenges to make yourself grow, to know more, to understand more. Without rejoicing, you're not living life. There's no life at all. You're just existing. One problem to the next. This is why Paul says rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. It's not for God's good. It's for our good. It's for His glory, but it's always for our good. This is the mentality of the life bearer, to know what it is to rejoice, not to live life as one big chore and one big challenge, but know what it is to see the beautiful things, the wonderful things, and to be thankful for those things. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. God is near. God's near to you. Now, near can either mean space or time. Here, Paul is talking about space, proximity to you. God is near to you. He's with you. He's a part of you. I I understand you can't see Him with your eyes. And I understand often uh, throughout history, uh, we don't hear Him with our ears, although that has happened throughout Scripture. We don't see Him with our eyes. We don't hear Him with our ears. But there's a lot of other things I don't see with my eyes. I don't hear with my ears. And I know that they're right next to me. They're here with me. A lot of things. God is right with us. God is near to His creation. God's near to His creation that doesn't even believe in Him. But those who do, God is as near as your very self. 
He encompasses the life of believers. His presence permeates everything around you. If you had the special eyes, right? Open my servant's eyes so he can see that we are more than they, right? Opens his eyes and there's chariots of fire on the horizon. We could see these things. God is near. But there's also a nearness of time with God. There's nearness of presence and nearness of time. Our lives are but a moment. So what does Paul say? Let your gentleness be evident to all. That almost seems kind of out of place, but gentleness is the result of joy. Gentleness is the result of conviction. Gentleness is the result of this peace that we're pursuing. Gentleness is contentment in life and generosity towards others. That's the light bearer. That's how you're to live. These are not suggestions, church. You understand that? These aren't suggestions. Don't sit there and tell me or tell yourself or tell anybody else, I hear the words of God and I'm not going to do it. This is what God wants for His kids. He wants you to be light bearers. He wants you to rejoice. He wants you to understand what joy is. Do not reject the commands of God. And we talk ourselves into an excuse, right? Well, I have reason not to rejoice. But that's simply disobedience. It's a command to express joy through gentleness towards others. Look at verse 6. If you want to be a light bearer in this life, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious. That's where you get the word anxiety, right? Don't be anxious. Don't be filled with anxiety about anything in life. The light bearer is not to have anxiety about anything. Remember what we've said in the past. We've talked about this in the past. You can't just empty yourself of sin. That doesn't work. Jesus tells us the same thing. Don't empty yourself of sin. Replace sin. Replace the worry. Replace the anxiety. Wait a minute. Did I just equate worry to sin? No, I didn't. God does worry, anxiety. You know, there's not. There's not a ton of things in Scripture. God says exactly do this and exactly don't do this. Worry is one of them. He says, you better not do that. You better not. Oh, but it's responsible, isn't it? It's nonsense is what it is. We're hurting ourselves. We're hurting people around us, and God knows this. He says, you've got to get rid of the anxiety and worry in your life, but you can't just eliminate it. You've got to replace it. How do we replace worry and anxiety? Paul tells us right here, you replace worry and anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving. It fills that hole in your life. It takes the seat. We get anxiety and worry out of our lives, and we fill the seat with prayer and thanksgiving, and then worry wants to come back in and finds itself in the room and says, I have no place to sit down. You say, you're right, we're done here. We're done here. Because I've filled my life with talking to God, with throwing my life at the feet of of Jesus Christ. Don't empty yourself. You fill it with something. We're still in the habit of thinking anxiety and worry is just a way of life, that it's not a sin, even though we're expressly commanded not to do it. God reminds us, fill our lives with prayer and petition. Don't remove anxiety. Replace it. The light bearer replaces anxiety with prayer, with rejoicing. And don't read too quickly. When you read through that verse, it's to be done with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is gentleness. Thanksgiving is joy. Gratitude is joy. They're so closely related, thanksgiving and rejoicing. 
Thank you for who you are, for, who, for what you are, for who I am, for the opportunities I've been given, for the chances I've been given, for the ways in which you bless me that I can't even know and can't even see. The very life, the very breath that is in me is a gift given from God. You fill your lives with thanksgiving, fill your lives with gratitude. I've said it before, and I'll say, prayer doesn't change God, okay? Prayer's not informing God. We're to replace anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving, all right? Your prayers do not inform God of anything. Not only do they not inform God of anything, we know that God is unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore, right? And so, if you're not informing God and God is not changing, then what's the purpose of these prayers with thanksgiving in your life? What's happening? In fact, Jesus even says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. They think they're going to be heard because there are many words. In verse 8, do not be like them because your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Before you even ask Him, God knows what you need. We're not even necessarily revealing our hearts in prayer in a way that God is unaware of. So what is the point of prayer and thanksgiving, specifically as it relates to anxiety? There's two people involved in your prayers, you and God. And if God's unchanging, then who, then who or what is prayer changing? You. You. Literally changing your heart. It's changing your mind. It's changing your perspective. There's many times God wants to work in our life, and He looks at us, and He says, you're not ready yet. Prayer and thanksgiving changes you and me. It prepares us to receive the work of God in our lives. It's a reminder of perspective. It's worship and it's praise, but it prepares us to receive what God's going to do in our life and receive it properly as a blessing in our life. Prayer is much more than a conversation. It's an act, again, of worship, of praise, of reverence, trust, humility, focusing on God and not focusing on self. It orders our priorities. We are being changed to receive the work of God. And if this is done reverently, it comes with a promise. It comes with a promise. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why am I not filled with peace? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How is this obedience? How is this submission in your life? Because everything God tells us is for our good and His glory. Peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Is this not the goal? Is this not your goal? We look to heaven because we regard it as a place of peace and love and joy. We desire peace in our lives. Often, we don't always desire peace with others. What we call peace is what we, we just want people to act and think the way we do. And yet, we're not completely off there. Is your desire to think the way Jesus thinks? Is your desire to see the way Jesus sees, to care about the things He cares about and not care about the things He doesn't care about? By the way, if you can get yourself into that place in life to care about the things Jesus cares about and not care about the things Jesus doesn't care about, you're going to be rejoicing all the time. It fosters joy. You want others to do the same thing for their good 
to honor God, to be filled with joy and peace, to rejoice because of Jesus Christ? Do you want them to praise God's glory and foster this peace in their own life? Here, it's not between two people. Here, Paul is talking about peace within. And it's important to notice the context of this promise. God's peace is promised to guard those who pray with thanksgiving about everything. Peace with thanksgiving about everything. And it happens, it shows. We see it when we are focusing, when we're paying attention. Often we see it when we look back, and hopefully that teaches us for the future. This inner tranquility to the believer. They have a thankful attitude and trust that God's able and willing to do what's best for us, and best is key. Best seems subjective, doesn't it? But best, according to God, is what's right for you, good for you, even if it's not the easiest thing, even if it's not exactly what you pictured or exactly what you wanted. God says, I know what's best for you. The peace that comes from being in a right relationship with God is not the same thing as peace in the world. Peace in the world depends on your circumstances. Church, your circumstances are going to change all the time. But peace in God is focused on Jesus Christ and love for who He is and what He is. The grace that He pours out upon us. <clears throat> he even says this, this won't be on your screen, but in John 14, peace I leave with you and peace I give you, and I don't give as the world gives. This peace of God transcends our understanding. That means it's outside of our understanding. It's beyond our understanding. So if you acknowledge, if you realize, if you see, and if you notice there's a type of peace, a part of peace in your life, and you're not real sure how it got there or how it's being built or understand the circumstances around you that brought you to this peace, well, you're in good shape then because it's beyond our understanding. It transcends it. We cannot go to the store and purchase an amount of peace God's the one who invented peace. Why does it even have the characteristics that it does? How is there such a thing as having a heart and mind of tranquility in the midst of a chaotic world? Put it this way, God's supernatural peace surpasses our understanding. A, a person who's sick may get well again or experience some sort of remission, and they may proclaim, I am so thankful to God. That's praise. But another patient who is sick and may be dying can calmly say to themselves, everything is still okay. still okay. I claim that I have the peace of God in my heart. That's the peace that passes understanding. And that's the type of peace we are pursuing. And now we find a continued instruction by God, commands to foster this peace. Here now is the mind and focus of the light bearer, Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, dwell on such things. Meditate on those things. Church, there's a lot of ugly in the world, and it's filled with ugly. You can find it pretty easily. Don't meditate on that. Don't think about that. Don't dwell on that. The things we read, the things we hear, we go looking for the ugly. 
under this ridiculous guise of, I need to prepare myself. What you're doing is hurting yourself. And you're hurting people around you. We fill our minds and our hearts with trash. We fill our minds and our hearts with quarreling. We fill our minds and our hearts with not even our worry, but the worry of others. And these are the things we think about, we meditate on. We picture the worst qualities in our enemies. We picture the worst qualities in our acquaintances. We picture the worst qualities in ourselves. God gives us a command, don't think about that stuff. Think about the wonderful things, the beautiful things. You can think about the snow and how it's a, a problem and how it's going to be slippery on the roads. You can think about the beautiful picture that we've been given. The change of the seasons. The beauty that comes with it. Dwell on the beautiful things. There are those who wish to be a light bearer, who wish to know peace, and yet their hearts and their lives are in unrest and anger, and they don't like that. We can be the cause of the very thing we don't like by what we think, what we dwell on, what we meditate on. Consumed by ugly, by what we read, what we listen to, and tending to fill us with rage. Again, focusing on the worst instead of the best of those around us and even ourselves. We picture the worst case scenario in different situations. Now look, I'll grant you that falsehood yells and truth whispers. Ignoble yells and noble whispers. Wrong yells and right whispers. It takes focus to dwell on the beautiful things of this creation. But even that's okay. Even that's not a problem. Jesus said the same thing when asked why he spoke in parables. His disciples said, why do you speak in stories? Jesus responded, because I want you to look for it. I want you to focus on it. I want you to be listening intently. Don't justify looking at the ugly, again, under the guise of being informed or preparing ourselves. The problem is that we're not merely informing ourselves, but we're focusing on it. It destroys the heart. Put it this way, be aware of false teachers, but don't focus on them. That, that'd be ridiculous. You'd hurt yourself and destroy those around you. Think of, don't think about them. Don't meditate on them. And certainly don't be consumed by anxiety over them. We may say that this is not the whole story. I and mean, we may be entertaining thoughts like this in our head. Surely we need to focus on both the good and the bad of this world. Church, that is the Garden of Eden all over again. Don't, don't, don't replay that sin in your life. Well, I've got to focus on the good and the bad. I've got to think about the good and the bad. I've got to think about the beautiful and the ugly. That's the Garden of Eden. You could partake of the tree of life, God tells Adam and Eve. No, Adam and Eve say, we want to have the knowledge of good and what? Evil. Don't replay that story in your life. Focus on what is beautiful. Focus on life. Focus on the joy of Jesus Christ, the value, mission, and purpose that Jesus gives you. The fact that everybody you're sitting next to is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And for that reason, there ought to be an awesome respect for the person sitting next to you. That's joy. That's love. That we get to share with each other. And we get to look at the world that way. It's a free gift. Not only is it ours for the taking, but the giver of the gift says, I want you to take it. 
Living a life of anxiety and worry is living a life of irresponsibility. Don't grow up simply to live your life as irresponsible people. There's an incredible joy in Jesus Christ. And it comes through focusing on the beauty of Christ and the beautiful things He's done, the beautiful things He's made. Verse 9 says this, Whatever you've heard or learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, says Paul, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, all of this sounds good and it sounds nice. There's a lot of things in Scripture that sound good. There's a lot of commands we're given and a lot of lessons we're taught. But none of it makes any difference. None of it makes any difference in our lives without this one line put into practice. You sit in church every Sunday your whole lives and never grow if we don't put it into practice, right? We can hear all the words of Jesus. We can hear all the comfort of Scripture. And if we don't put it into practice, who cares? Who cares? And no one in this world can make you or me put it into practice except for you and me. Your spouse can't do this. Preach can't do that. Your kids can't do that. You can't do that for your parents. Jesus doesn't even do that for you. He helps you. But when it comes to putting into practice the commands that Jesus gives for our good and His glory, that belongs only to you as the individual and nobody else. Nobody else. There's joy everywhere around you. There's beauty everywhere, even in the lives of the people you interact with, the lives of the people you see. Guys, this is the pursuit of the light bearer. There's no such thing as a bearer of light, a bearer of the gospel of Jesus. There's no such thing as one who gives the gift of Jesus Christ to others who hates the life that they live because they've rejected the beautiful gifts of Christ. They've rejected the hope of Christ. Oh, you cannot be particularly thrilled about different circumstances. I get that. Paul wrote this, and he was thrown in prison many times. But that underlying piece of what he's doing, why he's doing it, and who he's living for, and where his ultimate goal is remains. And it gives him an incredible joy and peace throughout life. Guys, only you. Only you can do these things. And this is the condition of the light bearer. This is the focus Somebody's not focusing over here, all right? That is the focus. Beautiful things, right? Wonderful, beautiful things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you, Father, that you have created wonderful things and beautiful things and situations and moments and blessings We thank you, Father, that you have not only allowed us to focus on these things, but even told us to, that we have the right, we now have the right to consume our lives with joy and hope and peace instead of worry and anxiety, that we can be that light, we can be that introduction to Jesus Christ. (laughs) By talking about Jesus, but, but by others just watching the fact that we have joy in our lives. Father, we also know that you allow us to play a role in this, which is to obey. So, Father, I ask that you will help us to obey, that we will put into practice the things that we read, the things that we know. Father, help us to put these in practice on the days when they're easy. Father, definitely help us to put these things in practice on the days and the moments that are very hard. I thank you for this gift of of this message of, of joy, this message of hope. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Please stand and sing. Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness I'll dance, in the shadows I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Cannot see you with my eyes, let faith arise to you. When I cannot feel your hand in mine, let faith arise to you. God of mercy and love, I will praise you, Lord. Oh, you shine with glory, Lord of light, I feel alive with you. In your presence now I come alive, I am alive with you. There is strength when I say, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness I'll dance, in the shadows I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When sorrow comes my way, you are the shield around me, always you remain. Like courage in the fight, I hear you call my name. Jesus, I am coming, walking on the ways, reaching for your life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'll dance in the shadows I'll sing The joy of the Lord is my strength The joy of the Lord is my strength The joy of the Lord is my strength In the darkness I'll dance in the shadows I'll sing The joy of the Lord is my strength Don't let anybody steal that, that peace, that joy, that pursuit of the beautiful things and the, and the, and the wonderful things. There's going to be a, people around you that want to take that from you. Don't let them. You know, when we talk about, when we get into singing in the rain, we're going to talk about David dancing before the ark as it comes into Jerusalem and his wife telling him, that was ridiculous. You're a fool for doing that. And I'm paraphrasing here, but David looks at her and he says, I do not care. I do not care. Don't let anybody take that joy of Jesus Christ from you. Ah, they're out there. They're out there. Just look them in the eye and say, I do not care. I do not care. I love Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he saves us. We thank you that we get heaven to look forward to. 
Father, we know we live in a fallen world, but we also know there's beautiful things in this world, and there's beautiful people, and there's beautiful moments, and there is just incredible blessing. Father, as we leave this place, as we see the beauty of the snow outside, all of these things, as we leave this place, help us to focus on the noble things, the honest things, the true things, and wonderful things of this life. Help us to realize that those around us are fearfully and wonderfully made, just like us, just like us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had the chance to hear from Cody about some of the things in the uh, student ministry and what they're teaching right now and so forth. And we're going to continue to hear from him uh, as we go through the year, just, just various weeks and various months. Uh, many of you know, though, that uh, these next couple of months will be Laura's last uh, as, uh, serving in an official capacity as far as children's minister. And the elders have been talking to her about that and, and each other and, and talking to people around the county and, and just things like that. Um, Matter of fact, we have a meeting about it tomorrow night and making sure we structure everything to um, provide for us and really kind of serve properly for the next five or ten years. And so we're going to get all that, that ironed out, uh, if not by June 1st, uh, by the end of this year. And so those are, those are some of our goals. But while most of you are familiar with the children's ministry, uh, some of you may not be real familiar with what they do and how they teach and how they choose those things. And so I want to kind of go along with what Cody was doing, talk to you a little bit about our children's ministry. Uh, Laura's been focusing on that for the last five years and has really done some great things, especially as far as building the structure inside of which we do ministry. Uh, it, it really got expanded into uh, some of the different programs we do, some of the activities we participate in, uh, volunteers and, and contacts inside and outside of the church, and she, she's done a great job building that. And whoever comes in to fill that role is going to have the chance to kind of live in that house and not build their own, which is going to be nice. They can add on to it and things like that. But she's been doing that for, again, for about five years. Um, it's split up in the backyard. You get kind of five years old kindergarten, that area, that age group through the sixth grade. And then the younger kids are in the hallway. The younger kids learn uh, Bible lessons as well. Leslie, I know, Leslie Fitzpatrick put together a program for them. Megan helps with that. Heather helps with that. A lot of people help in the little, little kids uh, watch them and care for them during the week or during the, uh, the Sunday service. Backyard class, go through Kids Sunday School. This is, this is the program, kidssundayschool.com. This is something that, that I looked at uh, uh, quite a few years ago, and I read through everything that they had, and I read through not all their lessons, but a lot of them, almost most of them. And um, Laura and I decided to start using that uh, some years ago. One of the things that you need to think about, and I... I you know, you can be, uh, take comfort in, is that what they're taught is true. Uh, it's accurate to Scripture. It's not always fun. There's fun things to learn, not fun things to learn, you know, when you're, 
when you're learning things and going through Scripture. But it's, uh, it's true and it's accurate, and I've gone through those things and those lessons, and, and that's what's used in the backyard. During the second hour, they have a worship time together, kind of like what we do in here. They reiterate some of the lessons that they learned during the first hour, but then the fifth and sixth grade go with Jim Hoffman, and they're taught through the Bible Project. This is, a, again, a, a program that was put together by a couple guys out in Seattle, I think. And I've, I've looked through all of those programs as well. Now, that requires a little bit more instruction. That's not something you can just completely unleash and say, hey, come up with what you want to come up with. That requires leading people through that, which is what Jim does. And we have a chance to talk about that if he has questions about it or if I have questions about it. So that's what happens back there. Right now, they're finishing up Parable of the Sower, which is an incredibly important and deep uh, parable of Jesus when he talks about how that gospel message is going to take root in your life and whether it's going to make changes in your life or whether you're just going to ignore it and keep on walking. Uh, After that, they'll talk about worship. What does it mean to worship God? How can we worship through giving, sacrifice, obedience? We do this through music. We We worship God a lot of ways in our lives, and so they'll be talking about that. They memorize Scripture the best that they can. I don't memorize a whole lot of Scripture because it's in the Bible, right? Einstein said, I never memorize anything that I can find in a book. I remind myself of Einstein, and so I, I keep, you know, I just read from Scripture. And, uh, but memorizing Scripture is important. It gives us this added strength in the midst of trial, temptation, difficulty. We have some of those <coughs> sort of offensive and defensive weapons from Scripture that we can use and are readily available. And so they go through Bible memorization, and these things help lead us and guide us in our life. Uh, so all these things are happening in the backyard and in our hallway ministry, and they're going to continue. We're starting already on Vacation Bible School. That's going to be focusing on light as well, and uh, we're going to need a lot of help with that this year. Uh, Laura, uh, again, has stepped down uh, at the beginning of June in an official capacity, and so, but don't worry, I've got it. I'll handle it. VBS. Yeah, exactly. Whoever said, oh, no, you're right. You know what I'm getting at. We're going to need a lot of help with that. So just keep that in the back of your minds as we move forward. And again, Cody's going to be keeping us up to date on what he's doing, what he's teaching, why he's teaching it. We're going to keep you up to date on children's ministry as well, um, just so we are aware of, of things going on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We know, we know Father, that right now, right here, We know this is a gift. Help us to treat this as such. Help us to treat this with joy, with celebration, with fun, but help us to also treat this reverently. Help us to realize that that this is a moment where we get to share with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be in one building, one room, listening to the bread of your word, Father. We thank you for this. We ask, Father, that if there's something in our hearts, our minds, we ask that you help us to see, to know, to understand, and to apply uh, what we learn here today. And as always, Father, no matter what happens, that we may stay true and accurate to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to kind of come to a close with this Philippians series, Being the Light. This, what, what does it look like to be a light bearer? What does it mean to be a light bearer? After this, we go into our Easter series. Uh, The sun is on the move, which was meant to start today, uh, time change day, Uh, but I'm behind schedule a little bit, so that's the way it works. 
Um, and so we'll go into that into our Easter series. But light is the theme of the year, even with our Vacation Bible School. When we get done with our Easter series, we're going to talk about storms of life and how the sun is shining, even on the backside of the other side of the clouds. As we look at David and a few others, we can even rejoice in the middle of the storms or singing in the rain. Right, Lori? That's uh, just, I like that, that series title, Singing in the Rain. Just so you're aware, that was, that was Lori. She helped me with that one. Thank you. That's, see, this is the great part about it. You can help me with sermon titles and people think I'm brilliant. You know, that's, that's just a wonderful part. Uh, but Singing in the Rain, we'll look at David and a few other people. As we look at joy, even in the midst of hardship, light, though, is the goal. It's what I want us to focus on this year. Chapter 4, we find this, and this is a great summary of the mentality and focus of the light bearer, those who want to spread the gospel to others. They either want to do it by what they say, or they want to show it by what they do. They want people to see their life, listen to their words, and see a picture of Jesus Christ. See good news, not bad news, good news. That's what the gospel is. We find this at work in our lives. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul saying to the Philippians again, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, this is a common theme throughout the Philippian letter. Rejoice. Be of good cheer. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when? When should we rejoice in the Lord? Always. Always. I don't know if you woke up this morning wanting to rejoice in the Lord. That was a fast evening, a quick night, right? I didn't even think, I forgot about it, just like other people did until I was laying down, stayed up extra late, and then I laid down and thought, "Uh uh-oh, we got to reset the clocks. What do you think, sweetie, as I'm saying to my wife, she's asleep, you know? I told, don't worry, I'll handle it. You stay there. I came early. Came early. I don't know if you, if you woke up feeling like rejoicing. But Jesus tells us to rejoice always. And he goes on to say, he repeats this. When you find something repeated in Scripture, you know it's important. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. This is where joy comes from. And it ought to define the life of the light bearer, those who have given their life to Jesus. Does it make any sense to you to give your life over to Jesus and then just go around hating life? Does it make any sense to you to give your life over? Does it make any sense to you to say that I follow good news and then hating life and everything that's around you and every opportunity you've been given, even the hard times, to just hate it? Rejoice ought to be the battle cry of the light bearer. Joy cannot be guaranteed to come from all circumstances of life because our circumstances change. Your circumstances are different today perhaps than they were yesterday or they may be different tomorrow than they are today. We can daily rejoice if we're going to do that in something larger. It's got to be something bigger, grander, more beautiful than our current circumstances. There's a reason why, one of the reasons why we don't rejoice and we don't rejoice always, it's almost, it's, you know, do you, you ever been in love? You ever been in love? Yeah? You remember what it was like? Huh? Still in love? I hear you saying that, Gary. I don't hear Joyce saying that. (laughs) 
Do you remember what it was like? I, you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what you had to slog through during the day, right? It didn't even matter what you had to slog through that week or that season. You really didn't care. You were able to overcome it because your mind, while well, your work and your hands were on the job at, at hand there, your mind, your hopes, your dreams, your emotions, no, 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 they were, they were tonight or they were this weekend because you knew that you were going to ask her out. For some reason, she was going to say yes, all right? You don't know why she was going to say yes, but she was, or you knew that he was going to take you out, and there was an excitement about it. There was looking forward to this. And so there was a lot of the trials and tribulations and the mundane things of life that you had to take care of that day or that week or that season. But it was all right. You were able to get through these things because your mind and your hope was on something bigger. It was on something grander. It was on something exciting. It was on something a little nervous, right? A little risky, right? It was, even that was fun. It was on something bigger than the trials that you were going through. I'm not talking about just slogging through life together, but excitement that comes along with it. Fellas, you shot way out of your league, and for some reason she said yes. Didn't matter. You weren't going to dissect this. You were just going to go. It was a part of it, and it was fun. You were looking past the hardship because you wanted to be united with your love. Why can rejoicing seem hard to find, even by light bearers? Well, Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus in the revelation of Christ, and this won't be on your screen, but he says, guys, he says, you're doing a lot of stuff well. This church doing a lot of things well, but you've forgotten your, your first love. You've forgotten your love. All the things you do participate in, you're doing quite well, but the attitude behind it, the drive behind it, the purpose behind it, the reason behind it, the joy that comes with it. You've lost your love for me. You still talk about me. You still pray to me. You still think about me once in a while. You want to love, but you don't want to fall in. That's what he says the church in Ephesus. We've forgotten what it's like to be in love. You know, we, we, get, we, we are so on guard sometimes against hero worship, and we probably should be, but but we forget about the one hero who ought to be worshipped with all that we are. Go ahead and swoon when you think of God Himself. How He loves you and how He made you. Made you by name. And He calls you fearfully and wonderfully made. We should love and we should fall in. We've forgotten what it feels like to trust. How good it feels to trust. We've forgotten... What it feels like to give your life completely over to somebody else. Realize the joy in that. And why? Because we hear all the time about mistrust. We see mistrust. We read mistrust. We even meditate on mistrust. Church, think about it. You've probably tried it this week, meditating on anger instead of love, on fear instead of courage, on I can't instead of why not, on safety instead of risk. We've cared too much for too long about what people think and not what Jesus sees. You're not going to rejoice with those eyes. You're not going to rejoice with that attitude. We, 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 we look outside and we see the rain that ruins our day instead of the rain that nourishes the very earth on which we live. Oh, there we go. There we go. 
Okay, we look outside. We see the snow, the cold, the hard driving this morning, whatever it was. Instead of the beautiful picture that's been painted. Or instead of the wonder of the change of the seasons. You know, we, we look at the ugly instead of looking at the beautiful, and that's not the life of the light bearer. It's never meant to be the life of those who give their life to Christ. It's never meant to be the focus. We think we do that, and we're being selfish when we think about the beautiful things and wonderful things of life. No, we're, we're being responsible, which is what we're going to find, which is what we're going to see. Don't meditate on the ugly. Meditate on the beautiful we see rain, we see snow, and we can even see the beauty in those. You see, if we don't do that, if we don't rejoice in Jesus Christ, then we are going to live our whole lives without joy, bereft of joy, of conviction, of passion, of imagination. It's going to lead. Why can't we rejoice in the light because we don't see the light? And why don't we see the light? Because we spend our time, instead of looking up, looking down, just digging our graves, and then it's time to die. Instead of experiencing the beauty of creation that God has given us and the beauty of His love that He showed to us. That's not life, church. A life without rejoicing is not life. It's just existing until you die. That's all it is. So Paul goes in a little further. He says, first of all, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice all the time because you're a saved person. I want you to rejoice all the time because you've given over your life to Jesus. I want you to rejoice all the time because you get to inherit the kingdom of God itself. He goes on in verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That line, let your gentleness be evident to all, it kind of seems out of place. Gentleness is the result of joy. Gentleness is the result of peace. Gentleness is the result of generosity. Gentleness is the result of giving your life over to Jesus Christ and embracing the peace that comes with it. But he says the Lord is near. God is near. Now, he's either talking about space or time. That's what it means when he talks about near. Paul's talking about space here, proximity to you. God is near to you. Talked about this before, I, I, you know, and, and I've probably done it in the past, but I just, when I think about it, I don't like this idea of going to like a church servant saying, God, we invite you into this place. He's already here, all right? He's already there. When you talk about your life, you've given your life to Jesus. Jesus, I invite you into this moment, this time, this place, this whatever it is. Don't worry about that. The invitation's already gone out. He's already there. He's a part of your life. God is near. He's in the room. He's present. He's present now. You don't see Him with your eyes. You don't hear Him with your ears. People have asked me before, you ever get nervous speaking or preaching in front of a person? No, I never do. Why? Because you preach in front of Jesus every day. So you better be accurate. <laughs> Number one, Jesus is a part of this. He's a part of your life. He's here. He's in the room. God himself. We could take joy in the fact that God cares about you so much that he's a part of your life. And you know how God works. We've talked about this before. If his little toe is in, the whole thing is in. He can't split himself apart. If you leave here and you go down the road, God is with you. And all of him is with you, not just a part of him. It's the way He works. That's the way He exists. I know we can't wrap our minds around that, but that's the way that is. So all of God is a part of your life. God's a part of those lives and part of, uh, uh, of creation, even in the presence of people who don't believe in Him. But for those who do, God's as near as your very self. He encompasses all believers with His presence. You ought to be happy about that. You ought to rejoice in that. 
You ought to take great uh, excitement in the fact that God shares life with you. You ought to talk to Him and you ought to listen. But there is also nearness of time, church. Don't mistake that. Our lives are a moment. They're a moment. This isn't the beginning of life. It's the beginning of the beginning. It's just a whisper, a vapor. And the end, this, this chance, or the end of this part of life, comes very quickly. And we get the chance to see Jesus face to face. There is a nearness of time. What does Paul say? He says, let your gentleness be evident to all because God is near. This realization and this joy ushers in gentleness in our life, generosity, contentment in life, and generosity towards others. That's the light bearer. That's what you ought to do. That's how you ought to live. That's how you ought to think. That ought to be the description of your life if you're going to be the light of the world. Don't reject the commands of God, no matter what you think your excuse is. There's very few suggestions in Scripture. There's a few, but most of them are commands. This is a command from God, your God, if you believe in Him. He says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to rejoice all the time, and I want your gentleness to be evident to all. I am near to you. Paul goes on to write in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, church, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is, again, the summary, the definition of those who bear light for Jesus Christ, or at least it ought to be. Don't be anxious about anything. Anxious, that's where the word anxiety comes from. To be filled with anxiety. And that's just another way of saying worry about it, right? That's all that is. To be filled with anxiety. You might ask yourself, well, I'm not filled with anxiety. Well, do you worry about stuff? Yeah, well, that's what being anxious is. And that's where you get the word. It comes from Scripture. Don't try to church it up, all right? If you worry, that's a disobedience of Jesus. A light bearer is not to have anxiety about anything. And we've said this in the past, church, you can't stop. You can't just eliminate sin in your life. That doesn't work, so don't try, okay? You have to fill that with something else. Fill that void with something else. You don't just try to stop doing sin. You try to pursue the joys and the obedience of the Holy Spirit in your life. In other words, you you want that chair in your life to be replaced, So that when worry and anxiety comes back, it doesn't have any place to sit down. And you say that we're done here. We're done here. You got to go because there's no place for you in my life anymore. That's been filled. It's been filled with prayer. It's been filled with petition. It's been filled with thanksgiving. You've got to replace the sin in your life. Sin of anxiety. Did I just say that it's sin to worry? Yeah, I did. Jesus tells us it's a sin to worry. Why? Because he gives us a direct command, do not worry. We have another direct command right here, do not be filled with anxiety. To worry about things, to be filled with anxiety, to be anxious about things in your life is a sin against God. Don't do it. Fill it with prayer. Fill it with being thankful. Fill it with talking about your gratitude before God. Thinking about talking about the gratitude of the very breath that you breathe comes from God, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You didn't invent it. You didn't come up with it. It's a gift from God. Thank God for His nearness. 
Thank God for His love. Thanks God for His salvation. You replace that worry with thanksgiving. You replace that worry with prayer. We're still in the habit of thinking that anxiety and worry is just a way of life. And we're also in the habit of thinking that it's not a sin. That's wrong, by the way. Don't sin against God in your worry. We're expressly commanded not to do it. Fill it. Don't try to remove it. Replace it. Don't be too quickly. Remember, this, this is done with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is closely related to rejoicing, church. I've said it before. Look, prayer does not inform God, okay? When you pray, when you petition God, when you're thanking God, you're not informing Him of anything. He already knows. Matter of fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans because they think they're going to be heard because there are many words. Verse 8, don't be like them. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. So we're not informing God of anything when we pray. God is also unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Always unchanging, always all-knowing. So if you're not informing or changing God when you pray, there's only two people involved in this, you and God. What's happening? Who's changing when you pray? You. You. That's why God wants us to pray. He wants us to remove the anxiety and replace it with a conversation. Replace it with trust. There are many times we pray to God, we pray to God, and we pray to God, and God says, no, 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 no. Why, God? Because you're not ready for it yet. You're not changed enough yet. You're not submissive enough yet. You're not humble enough yet. No matter how I work in your life, you're not going to accept this as the blessing, the gift that it is. And so you keep praying. And one of these days, I'm going to work in your life when I know you're ready. That's what prayer does. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. It's changing your heart. It's changing your mind. All of this, church, is for your good and His glory. Try it. Try praying in all situations. Here's an experiment. Try doing what the Bible says and see what happens, right? Try praying in all situations with a heart of gratitude. And then you have the right to tell the Father, I'm going to trust whatever you're going to do. I'm not going to worry about this anymore. Your Father says, finally, finally, you're getting there. Finally, you're living the way I want you to live. This is what the light bearer is like, what he pursues. We're not even necessarily revealing our heart in a way that God's not aware of when we pray to him. We are being changed. Prayer is an act of worship, praise, reverence, trust, humility. Focus on God instead of focus on self. Prayer orders our priorities, and we are changed in the process. God wants us to be ready to receive and accept the work that he's going to do in our lives. And by the way, if this is done properly, that is reverently, honestly, but reverently, if this is done reverently, it comes with a promise. Look at verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How's your peace? Is it there? And if it's not there, how's your prayer life? Do you have genuine conversations with God? Do you lay before Him your life? I get it. It's really not all that easy. You'd think it would be easy. It's just a conversation. 
But sometimes it's hard to have that time. Sometimes it's hard to have that focus. Sometimes it's even hard to discipline yourself to talk to a God that you can't see with your eyes or hear with your ears. Sometimes it's difficult. But prayer throughout life, giving your life before Christ on the altar of the cross, as it were, brings an inexplainable peace in your heart and your mind. It transcends our understanding. And this peace, is this not the goal? Is it not the goal in your life? If peace is not the goal in your life, you should stop following Jesus, okay? That's the way that goes. If you don't want peace, if you don't want joy, if you don't want to look forward to the kingdom of heaven in a more obvious way where there will forever be joy and peace and love, and you'll have the chance always to worship Jesus Christ, if that's nothing that you want to do with, you should probably stop following Jesus. You'll die. You'll be separated from God forever. That's a bad choice because Jesus ushers in peace. He wants peace. He desires peace and love and joy in your life. And this is the end goal for everybody who follows Jesus. We look to heaven because we regard it as a place of peace, love, and joy. And we desire in our own lives. We don't always desire it with other people. Um, Sometimes we don't make peace with other people. In our minds, peace is someone who just does and thinks the way I do, right? Um, But sometimes we have a hard time making peace with other people. But we certainly desire peace in our own hearts and in our own minds. We talk of peace. We think about peace. We desire peace. And frankly, you can ask the question, is your desire to think the way Jesus does? Is it to see what Jesus sees, to care about the things Jesus cares about, to not care about the things Jesus doesn't care about? There's a lot of things in life Jesus really doesn't care about. Okay, there's things in life that we spend all of our time and energy being consumed with, with anxiety and worry and so forth. We ask Jesus, Jesus says, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. You really want to experience joy and peace in your life. Care about the things Jesus cares about and don't care about the things He doesn't care about. That's joy and peace. That's joy and peace. Do you want others to think the same thing and to act the same way for their good and for God's glory? But here we're talking about peace within, not between us and others. It's important to note the context of the promise here. God's peace is promised to guard those who pray with thanksgiving about everything. And that's a promise. This inner tranquility to the believer has a thankful attitude and trust that God's willing and able to do what is best. Best, not what you want, what is best for you. God knows what is best for me. I don't know what's best for me. God knows what's best for me, and I need to trust that He is willing and able to do those things. The peace that comes from being in a right relationship with God is not the same as the peace of the world. The world's peace depends on having favorable circumstances. God's peace is different than that. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that, regardless of where you find yourself. Put it this way. You may be ill, and you may get well, and you may say, thank you, God, that I have been healed. That's praise. That's worship, and that's good. However, You may be sick, and you may not get well. In fact, it may be getting worse and worse. The one who has the peace of Jesus Christ says this, everything is okay. I claim the peace of Jesus in my heart. That's what it means to have peace that passes understanding. I don't know where it comes from. You can't go to the store and pick up an amount of peace, right? It's invented by God. It's bestowed by God, and it's bestowed liberally by Him to give it to you and me. That's the peace that we pursue, and that's what ought to be the pursuit of the light bearer of Jesus Christ. Now we find continued instruction by God. 
commands to foster this peace. And now here, here's this summary, a great summary of the definition and life of the light bearer if you want to be the light of the world. Jesus says you are, so you can either accept that or reject that. If you want to be the light of the world, here's a great focus of the mind, a definition for who you are. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, and you've heard this before, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, dwell upon those things. Meditate upon those things. I know that you know how to meditate because you know how to worry. Just replace worry with meditation. It means rolling something over and over and over in your mind. That's what meditation is. To fill yourself, to mutter is what really what meditation is. Dwell on these things. Those who wish to be a light bearer, who wish to know this peace, yet in their hearts and lives are filled with unrest and anger, and they don't even like it. Church, we can cause the very thing we're trying to avoid. We can be the cause of the very thing we're trying to avoid by focusing on the ugly in this world instead of the beautiful, the unrighteous instead of the righteous. By, by, by focusing on you know, the, 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 the difficult, the hatred, and the struggle, and the slogging instead of the beauty, and wonder, and forgiveness, and peace, and majesty of Jesus Christ. What do you meditate on? What do you think about? What do you care about? We read about the ugly. We listen to those things intended to fill us with rage, and I do not understand it. We focus on the worst in our enemy. We focus on the worst in some of our acquaintances. We focus on the worst in ourselves. And what sense does that make when we're pursuing peace and joy, when we are to be thankful to Jesus Christ for who He is, what He is, and the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God? And by the way, the person next to you is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of your God, which means you ought to have an awesome respect for that person. Right? I didn't say you always had to get along. You don't always have to agree on everything. But you need to have an awesome respect for that person. These are the things we think about and the beautiful things we can think about. We picture the worst scenarios in a situation. And look, I understand falsehood yells and truth whispers. Ignoble yells and noble whispers. Wrong yells and right whispers. It takes focus to dwell upon the beautiful things of this creation. But even that's okay. Jesus' disciples asked him one time, why do you preach in parables instead of just preaching normal, right? And Jesus' answer was, look, I want people to focus on it. I want people to listen intently to it. I want people to seek out that truth so they really know it. So, sometimes the good whispers and the ugly yells and screams... We talk ourselves into thinking about the ugly sometimes and justifying that under the guise of being informed or preparing ourselves. The problem is it goes from mere awareness to a focus, and then it destroys the heart. Put it this way, be aware of false teachers. Don't focus on them, right? Be aware that they exist. Don't listen to them. It's the same thing with every other ugly thing in life. It should never be the focus of your heart, your mind, your meditation. And we do it. Just pressing on a bruise, church. Quit pressing on a bruise. Let it heal. Quit pressing on the bruise. Don't be consumed by anxiety over these things. 
We might say that this might not be the whole story. In fact, we go about our lives, our day, we go about our responsibility in our lives, and we say, surely we need to focus on both the good and the bad of this world if we're, or if we're going to make our way through it. Jeez, church, that is the Garden of Eden all over again. Don't, don't recommit that sin in your life. God told Adam and Eve, participate, partake of the tree of life. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and what? Evil. Don't recommit the same sin. Give your life, your mind, your heart, your rejoicing, your peace, all of these pursuits over the beautiful things that God has made for you, sometimes through you, right? Wonderful things. And the glory of Jesus Christ, this gift that He's given you and me that we too will one day experience this same glory. And finally, he says this, Paul writes in verse 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. All this sounds pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of things in Scripture that sound good. There's a lot of things in Scripture that can give us a great deal of wisdom. And there's some incredible fruit that comes from these things. However, none of that matters. You might as well just throw it all away. None of it matters without this line, put into practice. There is nothing or no one in the world that can make you follow, do, institute, practice the commands of God in your life. Your spouse can't do it. Kids can't do it. Parents can't do it. Trust me, a preacher definitely can't do it. He's struggling with his own, right? Only you can. Only I can. And really, it does take conviction. It takes a direct, concerted, intentional decision, not on the easy days, on the hard days, to rejoice in Jesus, to rejoice in the middle of the storm, to go dancing in the rain or singing in the rain. Either one, singing and dancing in the rain. Snow. Lay off the snow, Alex. I know it's snow, all right? <laughs> yeah, one of these days, one of these days, it's going to rain, and then I'm going to have my day, all right? Put it, put it into practice. You have to put it into practice. You can help others, but even Jesus won't do it for you, does He? He doesn't turn you into a puppet. He doesn't turn you into a machine. He helps you. He convicts you. But only you can put these things into practice. This is what it means to be a light bearer. And the more we do it, the more we are changed, the more we are purified. This is called sanctification. The more we are sanctified, the more we understand it, the more it becomes a part of our life, and the brighter and brighter and brighter that light of the good news of the gospel is. Sometimes, again, people come to Jesus by what we say. By what we say. Sometimes they come to Jesus by what they see in you and me the life of the light bearer. You are, you were already told, if you believe in Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are. Live that out. Help others live it out. Because I tell you, for me to do it on a regular basis, I need other people to help me. I need, I need somebody to walk through this with me. Help your spouse, help your kids, let your kids help you walk through this light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for the love that you have shown us all the time, love that you show us in, in sacrifice, love that you show us in forgiveness, love that you show us in opportunity, love that you show us in ways that we, we recognize immediately and, and sometimes we never recognize and yet we know you, you care about us, that you created each one of us by name and you love us. Father, I thank you that you've given us challenges. I also thank you that you've given us passages like this, that we can, we can actually have peace, that we can know that we have a right to pursue what is lovely and beautiful. Father, help us to obey you. Help us to not sin against you by refusing to see the noble and beautiful and wonderful and true things of this world and this life. Father, we want to be light bearers. We want people to see the gospel of Christ through us because we want a life well spent. We don't want to waste our time. We want to build your kingdom. So, Father, we're, we need your help. We need your help to care about those things, to focus on those things. Father, help us not to detract people from Jesus, but to draw people closer to Jesus, that one day we might stand in the heavenly realms as someone thanks us for our invitation to know Jesus Christ. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness, I'll
Just be glad you didn't. That's right. <laughs> I wish they could have. You know what? Dance if you want to, right? Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody take that away. Because sadly, there are people, right? There are people who want to take joy away from you, especially when you rejoice, when you show joy, when you show peace, when you show contentment and love, excitement. There's always people that want to kind of rob you of that. Don't let them. You know, we're going to talk about David a little bit when we talk about singing in the rain. And there's this moment where he's dancing before the ark as it comes into Jerusalem. And his wife confronts him and says, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. And, and David says to her, and I'm paraphrasing here, he looks her in the eye and says, I do not care. I do not care. I'm going to sing. Actually, what he says is if you're embarrassed by this, you're really going to be embarrassed by what's to come. That's actually what he says. Because I'm going to dance before the Lord, he says, no matter who says anything. That's what the king said, King David. Don't let anybody take your joy. Just don't do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you've granted to us. We thank you that we have a right to be joyful before you. Father, we thank you. We have a command to be joyful before you. We thank you, Father, that you give us so many opportunities, blessings, if we just keep our eyes open to see how much you love us. And, And regardless of the hard stuff, regardless of how bad it gets, We know that we are saved through Jesus and Jesus alone for all eternity. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.